0: Being with us um, this morning is perhaps your first or your second time. Uh, We're glad you're with us. Um, If you have your Bibles, if you would, open them with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 11. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 9. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. If you don't have your Bibles printed for you um, in your bulletin. And and while you're turning, um, consider this question. At, At some point... Somebody younger than us is going to ask us this question, and you've perhaps already heard it, or it's coming down the pipe here shortly for you. It's the question. The question is this: Is how did, from one couple, Adam and Eve, you know, two people, this this one couple, how did we get um, the, the colors, the languages, the nations, red and yellow, black and white? They are precious in his sight. How did how did that come come about? And typically, the church has been content. Uh, with our answer, we, we, we look to Genesis 11 and say, this is how it started. It started at the Tower of Babel, and then we kind of move on to Genesis chapter 12. Well, what, what I want to suggest this morning is that when we look at this passage, there's much more to it than just the origin of the nations. This passage is rich. This passage is deep, and it reminds us of the gospel. So let's jump in. Let's take a look. This is Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And remember, friends, this is God-breathed. over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the sitting and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over there, from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray now together. Spirit, most of us watched this morning as the coolness of the weekend. And the vapor in the midst uh, vanished at the appearance of the sun. It was foggy this morning, but now it's clear. And Spirit, would we would ask you again for, for something very similar. A lot of us, we have, we have fogs in our eyes, in our minds, in our hearts, and we need something to burn it up and to take it away. Spirit, would you now take your word? Would you now reign over it, use it, Let it be like a hammer to our hard hearts. Let it be like a fire that consumes our emotions. Spirit, feed us. Give us eyes to see. Encourage us through this gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel like Rubio. Last week, we celebrated perhaps... um, the 50th birthday of probably the best basketball player that's ever played the game. Okay, Michael Jordan had a his 50th birthday last week. So what? Well, ESPN, one of their senior writers, decided to follow follow around this this 50-year-old. And, and here was sort of the heart of the article. The article is this. What is a man 50 years old now? Um, what does a man do with a life after basketball? And it was quite a life. I mean, this man... Made a name for himself, not just in the United States but all over the world. This man is known for his abilities to put a round basketball into a basketball hoop. Everybody knows who Michael Jordan is, right? And for a good reason, they won six national titles uh, with the Bulls. He was MVP five times. He was a scoring leader ten times on the all star team fourteen times. He has a billion dollar shoe industry through Nike, and he was in space jam, right? This guy is known all over the world. And this article asks, when you no longer have the ability to play basketball, when you can no longer reach the rim, when you can no longer compete with people, you know, 20, 30-year-olds, younger than you, what is life like for you now? And I'll be honest, the article is very sad. It's very discouraging. He says, I'm I'm restless. I, I have thought, I have pined, I have tried to figure out a way to go back and play, but I can't. And this is my paraphrase, but he's miserable. Basketball was his refuge. Now, I bring up Michael Jordan this morning not to slander, not to poke holes and say, don't be like him. The message this morning isn't to go home and pray for Michael Jordan. The message this morning is for us to look into our own hearts, pray for ourselves, and pray for Michael. Because what he struggles with publicly is something that we all struggle with privately. He's just doing it out in the open. Here's our problem. We, like, like Michael Jordan, we have abilities. God. Given abilities. And these are good things, except that we use these things to make a name for ourselves. We want to be MVP. We want to walk into a room and have instantaneous respect. We want our own shoe line. We want to be in space jam, right? We have a heart just like His. Well, in our passage this morning, the same is true for this people of God. Their heart is like our heart. They want to make a name for themselves. They start to recognize their God-given abilities. They're, they're coming out of the garden. And the garden was order. And the garden was beauty. And the God says, disperse yourself. Be like a rolling stone. Go out into all the world and bring order to it. Be creative. Use your abilities. Use your gifts for my name and for my glory's sake. But what happens in this passage what this passage tells us is that they're not doing it for the Lord's sake. It says they're doing it to make a name for themselves. Isn't this true? Don't we all struggle with this? Isn't this the heart behind the Guinness Book of World Records? To be immortalized, to be put on paper, to be remembered forever. I mean, remember the space exploration of the 50s and 60s? Why did America want to be first? It's because we wanted to be first. Right? We all want to be the center of attention. We all want to leave a legacy. And so the question is, is what will God do with a heart like this? What will God do to a people who want to make a name for themselves and not make a name for God? Well, let's find out. I've got two points this morning from this passage. One is the problematic plan. That's the first point. The problematic plan. The plan is the problem, and the problem is the plan. Okay? And the second thing is the Lord's response. How is God going to respond in this type of situation? Okay? So the problematic plan. Let's take a look at the the plan first. What is man's plan? Look with me again at verse 3. It says, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks, burn them thoroughly. For they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let's build a city. Okay, so the plan is to build a city. And what we know from the rest of Scripture is that a city is not a bad thing. Right? A city is a good thing. A city is a place where people can be fortified, protected. Right? Safe from danger. Remember, this is a people that's, that's leaving the garden and they're moving eastward and they're out in the middle of a plain. And a people that are out in the middle of an open space, they're vulnerable. And so they need to be protected. And so a city's not a bad thing. In fact, um, Revelation chapter 21 talks about a heavenly city. The Lord says, when all things are said and done and this story comes to a close, its climax involves a city. That's what this New Jerusalem is it's a city. Right? And that's their plan. Their plan is to build a city. A city is a good thing. And how are they going to do that? They're going to make brick. Okay? And here's, here's, how, here's, here's how this plays out. As they're moving from west to east, and as they're out in the open and they're you're experiencing weather and rain, they notice something, right? Something that they've never noticed before. You, you come out and you realize that, okay, th- there was mud here. There used to be mud. And then something happens to this mud when the sun hits it, when it dries. This mud gets really hard. What if we took this mud out and made squares? What if we made bricks? If we can make bricks, we can make a wall. And if we can make a wall, we can make a city. And if we can make a city, we can make a tower. And if we can make a tower that reaches into the heavens, well, then we'll have what nobody's ever done before. When people come to Babel, they will see us and go, now I've seen a city, but this is no city. This is magnificent. Look at these people of Babel. Look at them. How incredible is that? You remember the scene in Castaway where Tom Hanks, you know, he's deserted on this island. And for a long time, he's been been trying to make a fire, right? And and finally, he gets the conditions just right. He makes a fire. And then to us, we just go, right, we just have to click on the stove or go turn on our gas logs. But for him, this was his life source. What does he do when when he creates fire? You remember what he does? I have made fire. That's what the people of Babel are doing here. We have made bricks. We have made cities. We can make a wall. This will be awesome. We'll make a name for ourselves because of this. Now what I want to suggest here at this point is that at this point, what what they've done is is nothing really bad. Cities are good. Using our God-given abilities to create, we're actually called to do that. The Lord tells us in Genesis 1 rule, subdue, have dominion over the faces of this earth. The Lord has created it for us. Go out, be creative, express yourself, make bricks, make cities. Use your gifts for our kingdom. And in God's economy, we don't leave worship and go to work. Work is part of our worship. We get to create alongside of God. There's nothing wrong with a city, there's nothing wrong with being creative. That's the plan here. But what's the problem? This plan is problematic. There's something wrong with it. 1 Samuel 16 says, Man looks at the outward appearance. Man looks on the outside. But the Lord has another gift. He can see the motives of your heart. He knows why. He can see on the inside. And He can judge motives... Purely, And that's what he does in this passage. It's not the city that's the problem. It's not their creativity that's the problem. It's the motive. It's why they're doing it. Notice, we see this on two levels uh, in this passage. We see it through fear. And we see it through pride. First with fear. Look with me again at verse 4. He says, They say, Come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower and its top into the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. You see... They know something we know. You have safety in numbers. When you're out in a plane, you're vulnerable, right? And so what do they do? They collect themselves. They unite themselves. They say, we're going to build a city because we don't want to be dispersed. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be out there by ourselves. There is safety in number. Commerce and trade is going to be so much easier for us if we hunker down, if we huddle up, and if we circle the wagons what they're starting to do, but they don't see it yet, is they're starting to subtly divorce themselves from the Lord. And notice where it begins. It begins with fear. Is God really going to do for us what He said He was going to do? He's going to protect us. Because remember what the Psalms say that God is our shield, our protector, our defender, our high tower? And do you see where this divorce begins? It begins with fear. God, I don't really think you're going to do that. We need a plan B. We're going to use these God-given abilities, these God-given talents, So we're going to make bricks. We're going to make a city and make a wall because we don't think you're going to come through. It starts with fear, <clears throat> and then it ends with pride. Right? We've already spoken about this. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be notorious. They wanted to be popular. They wanted people to come through Babel and just go, there's something different about these people. You should take note, right? And here's what we've got to see what pride is. Pride is taking something that belongs to God... Remember, God, He is worthy of all praise, all glory, all majesty, and it's taking what is due Him and putting it on ourselves and saying to God, I want in on that. This whole praise and glory thing, maybe not all of it, but give me some. That's what pride is. It's taking what belongs to God and putting it in our own hearts. Back in 1989, the FATF was created. That's the Financial Action Task Force. And here's why this task force was created. Let's say a thief, a robber, comes in and steals, steals money from a bank. He gets away with $10 million. Well, if this thief is smart, he's not going to walk to his bank a couple days later and deposit the money because that's going to send up red flags everywhere. Like, where did this money come from? Instead, what, what these thieves have, have learned to do is, is, is launder money, is, is, is to split it up, put it into separate accounts, hide it, get very discreet with it, you know, one example that I read over the weekend was, you know, um, some robbers will take their, their money to a, a casino and they'll get, you know, chips back. Um, and so their, their money is is, is is in a casino and it's, this money is spread out all over the place. And then a couple days later, they'll go take the chips and, and just cash back out. Now they have new bills with different serial numbers. They can't trace the money. And the FATF was created to help find... The source of the money. Where did the money come from? Because if they can find the source, if they can find the thief, then they can return the money to the original owner. Money laundering is a huge problem right now. And really what this passage is asking us to do, what it's telling us we must do as as believers, is we've got to be as good at looking at our heart, the motives of our heart, the depths of our heart, like the FATF is at looking at a ledger. They're great at looking at a ledger. They're, They're great at finding the source of the money. They're experts. They know what they're doing. And what this passage is telling us is we've got to do the same thing with our hearts. We just can't live in external realities because we're we're building cities and we're doing things using our gifts, being creative. And on the surface, it looks great to the rest of us. But we're not fooling the Lord. We've got to ask ourselves, why? Why am I doing this? Why do I want this promotion? Why do I want to succeed? Why is this so important to me? Friends, we have to be experts at doing this. Now, does this mean we should avoid success? Does this mean that we should avoid the promotion? If we get promoted to work, does does the Christian then have to say, no, 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 not this guy, not me? No. Promotions are a good thing. Cities are great things. Using our abilities are great things. Success is a good thing. But we have to ask ourselves the question, why? We've got to get to the heart of it. Can you be objective? Can you be like a third party to your own heart that resides within you? Why? It's a beautiful question. Well, the second point is the Lord's response. What is God going to do with the people that on the outside are are doing great things? They're building a city. They're using their gifts. They're being creative like God asked them to. But on the inside, they're doing it for themselves. And they're not fooling the Lord. What will the Lord do with the people like that? What will the Lord do with us The answer is threefold. I want to look at the motive, the means, and the solution. First, the motive. God intervenes. It says the Lord actually comes down. Do you notice the irony here? They're building a tower up to the heavens. But it's the Lord who has to come down. As if they even made it a fraction of the way. You cannot reach God. God comes down to you. God intervenes. Why does He intervene? Why doesn't he just kind of let, the, let this whole thing play out And just see what happens You know at other times he's, he's caused lightning to strike and, he, and he's been vengeful in his wrath Why does he intervene in the way he does Why does he change the languages And what we need to understand is These people didn't know the rest of the biblical story Like we do We have the rest of the Bible We know what happens to cities that are built around people That are built around egos That are built around pride What happened to Nineveh We talked about this over the summer This was a city built around a human ego Look what we can do Nineveh is gone. We can't find it. It has an invisible expiration date on it. Anything that we are the center of, anything that centers around us, our ego and our pride, it disappears. Remember mighty Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Oh, mighty Babylon. We can't find it either. It is gone. Why? Because man was at the center of it. What's happened since then, since, since Rome... Greece, Nazi Germany. Some have short lifespans, some have long lifespans. But anything that man is the center of expires. It goes away. And the Lord knows this. The psalmist says this, right? In 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the, labor, the builders labor in vain, right? Anything that we're the center of is going to go away. And they don't know that. And so the Lord intervenes. Okay, so he's not being harsh. He's not being severe. He's actually being gracious. He intervenes. Well, how does he do it? He does something very odd here. He he changes one small little element, their their ability to communicate with one another. Now, you've heard the expression before, the punishment fits the crime, right? The punishment fits the crime. Well, here, what's happening here is the discipline is going to fit the mission of God. And and notice notice what the Lord does. He just changes one element. He says, I'm going to... I'm going to limit your ability to communicate with one another. And thus, we have all these different languages and now all these different nationalities. And what did that do? That caused chaos. That caused disunity. In their insecurity and their fear, they said, let's huddle up, let's find security in ourselves. And God says, no, I'm going to change your language. Your security is gone. But my mission, to spread you out over the face of this earth to be like rolling stones, my mission will still be fulfilled. Remember, that was their fear. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. What happens after the Lord changes their language? They were dispersed over the face of the earth. When you can't communicate with someone, whether it be a spouse, a family member, a coworker, and you're not on the same page, what do you do? You, you end up going your separate ways. The Lord knows this. And this is the Lord's heart, that God's people be dispersed over the face of the earth. He's, he's told us four times. Okay, this is Genesis 11. He has told us four times prior to Genesis 11 what his purpose is for God's people. Let me just highlight a couple. This is Genesis 1.22. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and the waters in the sea. Genesis 1.28. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over everything. Genesis 9.1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said of them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Chapter 9, verse 7, And you be fruitful, multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply within it. God's heart is that we be rolling stones. And what we've told God is, no, we'd rather be a rock garden. We'd rather be a spiritual stonehenge for people to come and just marvel and look at. But God's plan can't be thwarted. We can't stop God. He will use us for His ends and for His means. But lastly, the, the solution is this, that the Lord uh, comes down. Now, I want to camp on this phrase here just for a moment. We, we've talked about this, this literary phenomenon called a chiasm in, in Bible study before. I'm not going to explain what that is here. But what it, basically what a chiasm does is it, in a literary way, it points you to something very, very important in the passage. It highlights for you, by using grammar and literary structure, what the most important thing in the passage is. And for us, that's verse 5. This, this verse 5 is the hinge of this passage. And here's what verse 5 says. Just the first few, words, for first few words. And the Lord came down. This is right in the middle of the passage. What man does is before, and then the result of what God does comes after. But the one hinge, the one thing that this is all centered on is this one phrase. God comes down. Now I suggest to you this morning that these are the sweetest words for us to hear this morning. Let this be your balm. Let this be your salve for this reason. Genesis 3, remember what happens with Adam and Eve? They betray God. What happens? God comes down in the garden. He says, where are you? He says, what have you done? Move on a little bit further. God's people have left Egypt. They don't know how to live. They don't know how to obey. And God says, I will help you. I will come down. And on Mount Sinai, God descends. He literally descends on this mountain and gives them the law. Now, they're out wandering in the wilderness. They haven't come to Canaan yet. And they don't have God. They don't have the presence of God felt. So what does God do? God literally comes down in the tent of meeting and in the tabernacle and in the temple and says, I will actually dwell there. I will come down and dwell with you. What do we celebrate at Christmas? We need atonement. We need a paschal lamb. We need someone who is perfect to be sinned for us so that we may be forgiven. And so what is God's answer? God comes down in the form of a little boy. His name is Jesus. 30 years later... Jesus is crucified. He's resurrected. And he says, You're going to need some help. That power by which I did everything, uh, all my miracles, all, all the healings, the power that actually raised me from the dead is the power that I'm going to put inside of you. And we see that at Pentecost. And this power, which is the Holy Spirit, literally comes down from heaven to earth. And I've already mentioned the heavenly city. Which direction does the heavenly city come? It comes from heaven and it descends. It comes down. Friends, do you see the pattern? Do you see the redundancy here? If there is a problem here on this earth, if there is something, if there is chaos, it's because of us. We're the common denominator here. But if there's a solution, if there's something that's going to bridge the gap between heaven and earth, do you see who's responsible for that? It's the Lord. The Lord bridges the gap between heaven and earth, and He quite literally comes down. There's no going up to Him; He comes down to us. I had a professor in college who um, I went to Africa with. Um, It's a big part of my story and kind of how I got into ministry. And he's told the story on several several occasions. It's ingrained in my mind, and so I'm stealing it from him. It's a story of 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 being out in in the bush of Africa. You know, we we weren't in like Kampala; we weren't in the big cities. We're out in the middle of nowhere. And so they don't have modern-day amenities. They don't have, um, they don't have latrines. They don't have outhouses. And instead, what people do in, in Uganda is, is they, they walk a certain distance out from the city, far enough to where you, you don't have to come in contact with, with this hole that they dig. And it's a pretty, pretty wide hole, okay? And, and they dig it deep because they're going to fill it with their waste. Now, time out. I know we're getting ready to go to lunch, Okay. I'm going to try not to be too graphic, but it's going to illustrate the story uh, for us. Okay? So they dig a hole that's, that's very wide, and it's, and it's a f- far away from the city because they don't want the smell coming back in through the village. Okay? And they dig it deep because when it gets full, they want to be able to cover it with dirt and not have to worry about, about seepage or smell or anything toxic, right? So this is a very deep hole. And as the story goes, one day a, a young boy walked out to use this particular hole, um, and in the process of using it, it fell in. Okay, now remember, this is a long way from the village. And he spends most of the day in there crying out, crying out for help. He has, he has no rope, he has no way of escape. And he is quite literally covered in the worst of the worst. And finally, the village realizes, okay, that this, this young boy is missing. So they, they start spreading out to look for him. And one of the villagers comes upon him. And this villager notifies the rest of the village. And they all come to help. Well, their first attempt to help help him was... Was to throw a rope So they got a rope They secured it to a tree And they threw it down to this young boy Because he had been there all day His energy was sapped He had nothing left in the tank Anytime he tried to grab the rope And pull himself up He was so covered in filth He kept sliding down the rope Plan A didn't work Plan B was, was to attach the rope To a very strong village person And they said Okay, you don't have to climb up Just hold on Just hold the rope That's all you got to do Just hold on, we'll pull you out. And so the strong person began to pull and pull. But again, this young man's strength and his energy was so sapped and his hands were so covered, he could not hold on to the rope. And so finally, they realized what they had to do. They secured the rope to the tree. They threw it down the latrine and then someone jumped in. Friends, if we don't get this in our heads... If we don 't understand this this message of God coming down, if we don 't see the gospel story here we 've missed it because of our pride and because of our ego, we want to pull ourselves up out of this pit and say, "How did this happen because of this guy and this guy? I did it, and what the gospel tells us what this story is is that if there's a solution to the problem, this has got to come from heaven it doesn 't come from you." This grace, this mercy is a one way street. We're like this little boy in the pit. We have no energy to pull ourselves out, and God says, You need to be rescued. I will come down. I will enter the muck and the mess, and you climb on my back, and we'll get out of this by my strength and by my energy. Friends, our enemy to the gospel is not the cities, it's not our abilities, it's not our gifts, it's not Satan. Friends, the enemy to us understanding this and comprehending this and embracing this from the heart is our heart. It is us. It is our pride and our ego. The enemy is on the inside. I want to close with this. In the millennia since um, this story, this, this historic event, this Tower of Babel, Man has been laboring tirelessly to try to undo this chaos that we see here in Genesis 11, this pandemic chaos. Um, One commentator said, when you look at all the wars, when you look at the discord, when you look at the pain, when you look at the disharmony in this world and you ask, where did it come from? He says, Genesis 11. It started on a small scale in Genesis 3 between two people and then it exploded into the world in Genesis 11. Where did this come from? look to Genesis 11, and we have have tirelessly and with all of our effort, we have since then over several millennia tried to undo this chaos. We thought, you know, after the Enlightenment, surely we'll be smart enough. We thought after the Industrial Revolution, we'll have the tools for it. And we thought after this generation with the technology have, surely we can be at peace with each other. We can find harmony. We can find common ground. We can find something That we can all agree on And all the wars and all the discord will will stop Surely after many millennia We could have this done Isn't that the heart behind the UN The United Nations Isn't that the heart behind At least economically The Euro Is to bring this, this chaos to an end And bring harmony How are we doing How are we doing with that It's pretty sad isn't it well, what if, hypothetically speaking here, what if, after Jesus was crucified and after he was resurrected, Jesus busied himself creating a place? And, and, and this place is, is, is pure. This place is, is harmony. This place is peace. There's no more tears. There's no more pain. And there's no more suffering. And, and it, it is what it is because we're not the center of it. We're not involved with it. What if Jesus was busy himself creating a place like that? That's something we could all get behind, right? That's something we could all connect, kind of championship and just go, okay, regardless of what you believe about Jesus, if that's what he's doing, I'm in. Bring peace to this discord, bring harmony again because this world is rough. We were just praying for Sudan. There's no peace here. And friends, the good news for us is that he is. Now in the Lord's providence, Brian is preaching on Revelation chapter 21 next week, which is the city of God. The city that ends all cities. And this city is perfect. This place is is without pain. It's without tears. It's in full harmony. Why? Because we're not the center of it. Who's the center of it? Jesus Christ. What if he was building a place like that? Would you be in? Would you be excited about it? Friends, he is. He is. That's how this story ends, and why is it perfect? Is because he is the sun, he is the moon, he is the stars. It revolves around him, and it does not revolve around us. You may say, "Okay, that's that's great. Um, that's a little too good to be true." You're, you think you're thinking skeptically. want you consider one more thing before we close, um, it's an event in Acts chapter two, and we call it Pentecost. Um, and, and the author, you know, as Luke is, is, is going through Acts and, and describing what's happening at this time in the history of the church, he goes to um, great lengths to communicate that while at Pentecost, um, it's not just the disciples who are there, but there are people from different tribes, different tongues, different languages, different ages, different stages and walks of life, different religious backgrounds. I mean, go back and read Acts chapter 2 uh, today. At some point. And notice just that awkward feeling of why is Luke going to the extent that he is to describe the different nationalities that are present in Pentecost? Here's why. Because remember what happens, the Holy Spirit comes down and descends, and it gives them this, this spiritual tongue. We don't know exactly what that is. But the people who are there, these people from all different walks of life and all different different nations, you know what they say? Why am I hearing the good news in my own tongue? Why am I hearing this from someone who is not of my nationality? Why are we all getting on the same page here? And what I want you to see here is, is when we look at Revelation 21 next week, that is the apple pie that God is creating for His people. But in Acts chapter 2, Jesus quite literally takes that pie and puts it right on our nose and goes, Smell this. You see that harmony? between you and that person that you've never seen before that looks entirely different from you. That one language, y'all are becoming one, you're becoming one together. You you smell that? Oh, that's coming. But this is just a taste. It's coming. God is creating a place. And as Zephaniah talks about this in chapter 3, this is part of his prophecy. He says, a place where we'll have one heavenly tongue. And what makes that so special? It's a place of perfect harmony. Even our language will be one. Now that's the God I want to get behind. But beware. In Acts chapter 2, there is a group of people that when they hear this, and when they see this, and when they see this harmony, when they see this Babel undone, when they see the chaos of Babel beginning to unfold, they just say, ah, they're drunk. That's not what's happening here. There is no unity. There is no harmony. This will never end well. Beware of skepticism, friends. That is the work that the Lord is doing, and we get to be a part I thank Him for it. Let's pray together. Again, Spirit, we would ask for for eyes to see, not other people's hearts, perhaps our family or others, but give us the courage to look at our own well and thoroughly. Perhaps, like never before, grant us a spirit of honesty, vulnerability with ourselves. And Spirit, if it be Your will, help us to see our, ourselves as those who, are, who have thrown ourselves into the pit and made a mess of our lives because of our pride, because of our egos, trying to make a name for ourselves. And Spirit, there are some who need to be rescued today, perhaps for the first time, and we would ask on their behalf, do that very thing. Rescue. Reside come to abide within the heart of your children with now and forevermore. Amen.